Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the third episode of the Pursuit of Sports podcast. I am your host, Reese Hughes, and we have a pretty lengthy episode for you today. Uh, Going to start off with a lot of football talk, and I don't want to waste any time, so let's get right into it. We're going to start off to, on today's episode talking about my midseason awards for this NFL season. We're going to get into some Giants talk after the game yesterday. And we'll talk about a little bit of basketball stuff and then we'll wrap up with um some baseball and some college basketball stuff as well. So, starting off with my mid-season 2023-2024 season NFL awards. Uh, we're going to start off this one. Hmm, what? We're going to start off with the rookies. So we're going to start off with Offensive Rookie of the Year. And, I mean, I think this one's a no-brainer, especially after the game uh, Sunday. But it's C.J. Stroud. I mean, the other options, you know, there's pretty good players here. It was Puka and Jordan Addison were my other two ones that I wanted to give this award to. But, I mean, after yesterday, C.J. Stroud is just in a world of its own. You know, I would have loved for a guy like Bryce Young to be in this conversation, but I think until he gets a better coach and a better team, it just won't be uh, plausible. But looking at C.J.'s stats on the season, four, um, 14 touchdowns, one interception. Let me, let me read that to you again. 14 touchdowns. One interception and five of those touchdowns came against the Bucks on Sunday. Two, uh, two thousand two hundred seventy yards total, sixty-two percent completion completion percentage. I mean, C.J. Stroud has just been incredible out the gate. I mean, a lot of people expected him to be, of course, you know, fairly highly touted coming out of Ohio State. But I mean, looking at the way that the Texans have been performing with him. I mean, they have a chance to, you know, be a potential second seed in their division. You know, a lot of people have were expecting the Texans to be a two or three win team and right now they're sitting at 4 and 4. They are 500 right now. I think I'm not sure if they'll make it this year, but it's very plausible. But I do think within the next couple of seasons, the Texans will be a scary, scary team once Will Anderson Jr. develops, once C.J. Stroud develops even more, once this team gets uh, some more offensive talent, some more defensive talent, this team will be very good. Next, we have Defensive Rookie of the Year. And for this one, there was only really two guys I was looking at uh, for this award. And those guys were Jalen Carter and Devin Witherspoon, and I inevitably gave it to Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter, though he's not playing a lot of snaps for the Eagles, he's top five in sacks and hurries uh, right now at the defensive tackle position in the entire league, not just rookies. But, I mean, I've watched a few of the Eagles games, and, you know, the snaps I've seen of him, he looks really good. He looks really, really good. So, Jalen Carter is my Defensive Rookie of the Year. Next award we are going to do is Offensive Player of the Year. 
And for that award, I'm going to give it to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill has put up video game numbers this season. Let me just read to you all his stats currently. 1,000 yards, 8 and 8 touchdowns. On 69 total receptions, by the way. (laughs) Just nuts. And we're only halfway through the season. There's still nine more games that the Dolphins have to play. That's just unbelievable to me. And, you know, Tyreek has always been one of the best receivers in the league. But I don't know what it is, but ever since he's been on the Dolphins, he's just showed out. I mean, even when he was on the Chiefs, he had a couple years where he was showing out, of course. But Tyreek Hill has just been unbelievable. I do think that Tyreek, break 2,000 yards. I firmly believe that. He's had just multiple crazy games. The game against the Broncos. The game, they had a good game against the Giants. The oh, the first game against the Chargers where he went from 200 yards and two touchdowns. He's just had amazing performance after amazing performance. And uh, looking at the Dolphins' upcoming schedule, they got the Raiders, this uh, – after their bye. Then they got the Jets, the Commanders, the Titans, the Jets again. Cowboys, the Ravens, and the Bills. So, Tyreek, you know, looking at those matchups, I think, I do think that Tyreek will break 2,000 yards. Just, you know, he's just been unreal this season. Uh, another guy I had up here was Christian McCaffrey, you know. 13 touchdowns in nine games. He could have uh, won this award, but I just think that Tyreek overall is having a better season. Next award we're going to do is Defensive Player of the Year, and that's going to be Miles Garrett. I mean, the right now the Cleveland Browns are the best defense in the NFL, and it's because of this guy right here, their anchor, Miles Garrett. He has been phenomenal this season. Uh, right now he's at about Nine and a half sacks through nine games, which is just unbelievable. Three and a half against the Titans, two against the Colts. I mean, he's he has a sack in almost every single game. He's just been unbelievable. You know, when he was taken in the 2017 draft, I was one of the guys who was like, oh, Miles Garrett's going to be great. Miles Garrett's going to be great. Didn't play a lot, you know, due to the injury. But the games he did play, he looked good. Really, really good. And then twenty that 2018 season where he was able to play a full season, just and to be ranked 49th on the top NFL players, top 100 NFL players by your sophomore year is just nuts. 13 and a half sacks as a sophomore and he has nine and a half think about that he had 13 and a half sacks total for the 2018 season and right now in 2023 in eight games played sorry i think i said nine earlier in eight games played he has nine and a half and look i firmly believe that miles garrett will probably have about 20 sacks this season 18, 20 sacks. I will say that. You know, and it's just it's just 
unbelievable what some of these players are able to do in the NFL. We've had a, a lot of players in the NFL are having great individual seasons, which you love to see. You love to see player empowerment. Let's get it. <laughs> um, another guy I wanted to give this to, of course. I'm always going to give him my honorable mentions. TJ Watt is another guy that I would love to give this award to. And then Micah Parsons is another guy. But just the I. I just think that Miles Garrett has an edge over them just because he's playing on the best defense and leading that team right now. Uh, now we're down to our last three awards. We're going to start here with Coach of the Year. No, Comeback Player of the Year. Sorry. And that's going to be DeMar Hamlin. I shouldn't have to explain this at all. I really don't think there was another option. I mean, you could say Tua, but I just think for DeMar – to have that happen last year and to come back from that and to be able to play football again. I know he hasn't played a lot this season, if at all, but just to be able to be back in football shape and to suit up again and to even uh, be able to play football again, like to put yourself in that position after what happened last year, it's just crazy. And I know last night's game, not was it last night or was it Sunday night's? I'm sorry. Sunday night's game must have meant the world to him to even be there in that moment. Next, we're going to move on to Coach of the Year. And this also is a no-brainer. Dan Campbell, just the Lions have been a great team. From that week one upset against the Chiefs where nobody thought they had a chance to win to now being 6-2. and two, with some really, really good wins, some really uh, convincing wins as well. The Lions have just been unstoppable, you know, offensively and defensively, just unstoppable. And Dan, and a lot of credit that goes to Dan Campbell's. Um, a lot of people, you know, through his early years in, with the Lions questioned him, but this season has really turned everybody around on him. And I want to say the end of last season did as well. But, you know, this season he's come out and showed that he is a good coach in this in the, this league and deserves to be a head coach. Another guy could have given this to was John Harbaugh. But one, uh, you'll see why I said that once you see who my MVP is. And, guys, my MVP midway through the NFL season is Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson has played phenomenal. Keep in mind – Keep in mind, a lot of teams could have traded for this guy. A lot of teams could have could could have signed this guy. His own team at first didn't want to sign him. And right now, he's just been crazy through the first couple games of the season. Nine passing touchdowns, five rushing touchdowns, three interceptions, almost 2,000 passing yards, 440 rushing yards. It just – right now, the – Lions, sorry, the Ravens are what seven and two, first in their division, have a real chance, you know, at comp- uh, competing in the playoffs this year. You know, Zay Flowers has been good, Odell's been decent, but Sunday's win, thirty-seven to three, where Lamar looks phenomenal. By the way, you know, didn't throw a, pa- a passing touchdown, but you know, you'll get there. You'll get there. But, I mean, Lamar has done everything you would want to ask for him. You know, of, of course, the Colts game and the Steelers game, you're going to look at and be like, uh. But other than those games, you know, Lamar has been great. 
and has done everything you would have wanted him to do. So those are my midseason NFL awards for this season. Uh, you know, no, nothing too surprising to me. You know, if I would have brought this list to myself like a year ago, I would have been like, oh, yeah, all those make sense. Yeah, those make sense. I'm going to read to you all a list of all the Giants players that have been injured at some point throughout this season. Daniel Jones, Tyrod Taylor, Saquon Barkley, Gary Brightwell, Eric Gray, Joshuan Corbin, Darren Waller, Wandale Robinson, Andrew Thomas, Josh Azidu, Ben Bredesen, Shane Lemieux, John Michael Schmitz, Evan Neal, Matt Pert, Aziz Ojolari, DJ Davidson, Michael McFadden, Cam Brown, Cordell Flott, Adoree Jackson, Javarius Owens, and Graham Gano. Now, I didn't count how many players those were, but I mean, that was a lot of names I just read off, and that's been the story for the Giants this season. Injuries. And with now Daniel Jones being out for the season with the torn ACL, the future of the Giants is its not good, y'all. It's really not good. Now, I'm going to spend the next couple minutes of this podcast talking about Daniel Jones, so all the Daniel Jones haters, turn it off or skip forward a little bit. Now, when Daniel Jones was first drafted here in 2019, I wasn't mad at the pick. I will. I I've always said I felt like he was picked a little too early, like we could have got him later on, but I was never mad at the pick. And throughout his years, you know, we've had some, we had some really up, some ups, and some really bad downs. And I'm not gonna say all those downs were on him. You know, there were the turnovers, but over time, he's improved. He's gotten better there was, you know, just the terrible throws. But like I said, over time, he's gotten better. And now I would say that he is the second second best offensive player on the team behind Saquon. And I will also go as far as saying that last year, the Giants did not make the playoffs without Daniel Jones at quarterback. If Tyrod Taylor had played that entire season, the Giants would not have made the playoffs. I will say that. You all can disagree with me. You all can agree with me, but I'm I'm just telling it how I see it, personally. Daniel Jones is a good quarterback. I do think that. But I do think that he was dealt a really, really bad hand here in New York. His rookie year, his best receiver is a 30-year-old Golden Tate. Let me let me let me just his best receiver at the time he was a rookie was a 31-year-old Golden Tate. And since then, since Daniel Jones has been a rookie, his best receiver since 2019 has been a 31-year-old Golden Tate. You could argue that Darren Waller has been good this season. He's been okay. You can argue that Darius Slayton has been good for a couple seasons. 
but he's been very inconsistent, so the argument may or may not be there. You could argue that Sterling Shepard is the best receiver he's played with, but I would say the injuries and inconsistency have dragged that down. You could argue that his best receiver is Saquon Barkley, our running back, but that'd be cheating, isn't it? Looking at Daniel Jones' record, as starting QB for the Giants. His rookie year, three and nine. Sophomore year, five and nine. Junior season deals with injuries. Four and seven. Last year, nine, six, and one. With the playoff win. And then this year, one and five as a starter. And a lot of this season, I don't necessarily attribute to that. I don't think that this team is just like I, I'm gonna hate I hate to say this, but I I think last year was a fluke, not a fluke in the sense that I don't think the team was good or not. I do think that the Giants were a good team. If they weren't a good team, they wouldn't have won all those games. But I do think it was a fluke in the sense that it wasn't gonna happen again this year. I feel like everything that needed to go right for the Giants last year went right. You know, that first game, oh, Randy Bullock missed the field goal. Uh, The next game, wasn't the next game against the, was it against, um, oh, next game against the Panthers. Baker pretty much gives that game away. Then we lose to the Cowboys, expected. That game against the Bears, Justin Fields gives that game away. The game against the Packers, the defense just goes insane and the Packers don't score the entire second half. The Ravens game, the fumble by Lamar. That Jaguars game, which was almost a loss, but thankfully they ran out of time. Then again, lose the double digits to the Seahawks. Then the Texans game were almost a loss again, but thankfully the defense locks in the game against the lions where i would say that was probably daniel jones's worst game of the season besides from maybe that first eagles game Mm, yeah i would say it was one of those another loss to the cowboys expected a tie to the commanders a win against the commanders a loss to the vikings by three not much you can do there a commanding win against the Colts, and then another loss to the Eagles where Daniel Jones don't, doesn't play. Then that Vikings win where the Vikings offense just runs out of brain function for 25 minutes, and then the loss against the Eagles again. Because, like I said, I don't think anybody expected the team to you know, make it that far this that last season a lot of teams expected the Giants to you know still be rebuilding but when you look at the Giants record for the past 10 years which here I have it right here 2014 6 and 10 2015 6 and 10 2016 11 and 5. First first year making the playoffs since 2011. Then the next year, 3 and 13. The year after that, 5 and 11. The year after that, 
four and twelve. The year after that, six and ten. Then four and thirteen. Then last year, nine, seven, and one. So far this year, two and seven. Guys, this team has been rebuilding since twenty twelve, it feels like. You know, ever since that second Super Bowl or the the fourth Super Bowl, I meant like the second this in this uh in the past like twenty years, I'm sorry. Ever since that Super Bowl, it just feels like the team is just has been in a constant rebuild. And with af- miss after miss after miss on draft pick, I mean you got guys like Evan Ingram, who isn't a bad player. I just don't think he was the right player that the Giants should have drafted at the time. And then Eric Flowers, which turned out to be a huge miss. A guy like DeAndre Baker, who turned out to be a huge miss. I mean, from the Dave Gettleman era right now, I genuinely think, like, out of all the players that Dave Gettleman drafted, I think there's four of them still on the team. Maybe five. Because looking at it, it's Saquon, Daniel, Slayton. Slayton, forgot he drafted Slayton. Andrew Thomas, Dexter Lawrence. Uh, I think he drafted Darnay and Nick McLeod. Um, no, I'm sorry. That was, uh, no, he was undrafted. Uh, Xavier was... He was Jamie Gillen? A no, no. I think that's it. He might have drafted Aziz. I think he did draft Aziz. Okay. That is it though, I believe. Maybe the what is it? Like six or seven players and what? He was here for five, six years? That's not good, guys. It's really not good. And I do commend, you know, Joe Schwain for doing his best. But now we talk about the future. Guys, I read off the Giants schedule last episode and I was like, oh, maybe maybe four or five wins is possible here. That's not looking possible anymore because right now the Giants are relying on Tommy DeVito at quarterback and behind him is Matt Barkley. So, I would say Tommy DeVito did de- he had some decent throws in the game against the Raiders. And he scored the only offensive touchdown for the Giants in the game. But I don't trust him yet. And I don't know that I'll ever trust him. It's just to, for him to be put in that situation, it'd be different if... He was the backup, but he's the third string. And they didn't even trust him to throw the ball a week ago. So it's it's not looking good for the Giants right now. And the biggest storyline is what are the Giants going to do now? I mean, Daniel Jones going out changes a lot because you just gave him the four-year extension in the offseason, $40 million a year, and – now you're going to be without him for at least the rest of this season and part of next season. So what do you do? Do you – I mean, I think the Giants are going to finish with four wins at most, maybe five, but four at most, I feel. Maybe I think 
There's a win against the Patriots, and maybe they beat the Commanders. Those are the only two other wins I could see them getting as of right now. But it's going to get really ugly really fast for the Giants uh, this season, you know. And that sucks because a lot of people after last season expected them to build and be better and not for this to be another lost season. But the biggest question right now is, do the Giants keep Daniel Jones? Do they draft a quarterback? Like, what do they do in this offseason? Like, what what's the plan moving forward? And, I mean, going into next season, unless you sign a guy, unless I'm not sure how much confidence this front office, this team still has in Daniel Jones. I mean, I know guys like Slayton, guys like, uh, Brian Daybaugh came out. Guys like Saquon, Andrew Thomas have came out in support of Daniel. Slayton even said he hopes he's still on the team next year uh, and comes back stronger than ever. But, I mean, after how you see him perform this season, he, he wasn't good. I'll just say it. Daniel Jones wasn't good this year. He had some good moments, like the Cardinals game, but he has not been good at all for the most part in 2023 now you look at that and joe swain and brian dable are gonna look at that and be like okay what do we do i think the first move is i mean you look at the offense right now averaging 11 points a game now I would say not all of that has been Daniel Jones's fault or Tyrod's fault or Danny almost said Danny DeVito, Tommy DeVito's fault. I want to say Mike Kafka has to be part of the blame here. I mean, there were times last year where it was like, okay, why are we running this when it hasn't been working all game? Why don't we keep running the read option with Daniel Jones and Saquon? that has literally been working all game. Why are we, why are we trying to throw the ball to Richie James? I do think Mike Kafka shouldn't be the offensive coordinator for this team after next season. And I hate to say that. I hate to say that because Daniel Jones has played with three offensive coordinators already in four years of his NFL career or five years of his NFL career. And I would hate that if he is the quarterback moving forwards after the injury, I would hate for him to have to learn another offense and have to work with another coordinator. But I just don't think Mike Kafka is the offensive coordinator for the Giants for the future. And it's weird because a lot of teams are like, saw what he did last year. I mean, maybe last year he should he should get more credit because last year the team was not offensively talented outside of Saquon and Daniel Jones. But, I mean, we have Darren Waller, Saquon, Jalen Hyatt, who's shown some flashes, Isaiah Hodgins, who's been okay. Wandale, who's been decent, who's oh he had he had a good game against the Raiders. Wandale's been good. Um, it's just strange that your offense is worse than what it was this season, but yet it looks worse than what it did last year. You have Saquon Barkley and Darren Waller, and you can't figure out that it's just it's weird to me. Weird. Um, but, yeah, I don't think Mike Kafka is the offensive coordinator for the future. And now I'm really on the fence about the Daniel Jones thing because one part of me is like, okay, let's just, you know, 
let's just go get a Caleb Williams, a Drake May type player, and let's just move forwards. But there's a part of me that's like, okay, you give him this four-year extension, and his entire career here, you've either been trying to push him out, put this label on him, shit on him in his whole time he's been here, and as soon as he gets hurt and he's out for a year, it's just going to, okay, you're done. I just don't feel like that's right, I mean, morally, because like I, I feel like this team has failed him many, many times. I mean, John Mara, who's the owner of the Giants, has even come out and said that this team has done everything that they have can to fail him. Just from his rookie year, having Pat Shermer as coach, and his sophomore year, getting Joe Judge and uh, Jason Garrett being brought in, then again, having Dable and Kafka brought in, and just uh, the team doing everything they possibly can to neuter him, not giving him the right players to be around, not surrounding him with good talents, good weapons outside of Saquon. But then Saquon is hurt a bunch, so it's just Daniel Jones pretty much throwing the practice squad receivers and trying to make stuff happen for himself. And I just feel like his confidence is shot at this point. Um, Last year... He looked fine. He looked confident. He looked poised in some games, but this year he just looks scared. He does not look confident at all. And I mean, maybe some of that can be attributed to the O line not being that good for the games that he did play. Uh, maybe, but I'm on the fence about it right now. I mean, maybe once this season's over, I'll have a better understanding of what I think the Giants should do moving forwards. But as of right now, I don't. I don't really know. I don't know. But I trust Joe Schwain and Brian Dable to figure it out. Um, but this offseason will be a very interesting one. I'm sure the Giants will probably be picking within the top five again. <laughs> or if not five, then at least ten. But what they'll do, what um, what the Giants are going to do this offseason will intrigue me very much. Uh, next, I'd like to get into a little bit of NBA talk. I've got three hot takes I found while scouring Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, Facebook, all those places. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna quickly go over those really quickly. The Timberwolves should trade Carl Anthony Towns and let Anthony Edwards run the show that is the very first hot take i have here and i would say i kind of agree i mean anthony edwards has been the better player ever since he's been drafted he was it last night yeah last night i believe 38 points uh in that win against the uh who who did they play? The Celtics. Yeah, 38 points in that win against the Celtics. I think Cat had like, what, 14? And they went to overtime? I mean, And if you watch the Timberwolves, or if you know anything about the Timberwolves, you know when Cat and Rudy are playing together, the offense, you know, the offense is fine, but the defense is horrible. Then Cat comes off the floor. The defense is amazing, but the offense can't score. It's a very strange dilemma here. 
and I'm not even sure what a cat trade would look like at this point. I mean, he's what, 27, 28, and oh, I don't know. Cat's just a polarizing player to me. I mean, so far this season, he's shooting 38% from the field, 23% from three, averaging 16 points, about nine rebounds. He's just always been – I feel like he's a guy that should – be a perennial perennial 25 and 10 guy damn near every single season and there's no reason he shouldn't be I mean for his career he's averaged 23 and 11 so he can do that but I feel like the Timberwolves are at their best when Carl Anthony Towns is playing within five feet of the rim of course he's a great jump shooter I mean there's seasons where he shot 40 43 41 42 percent from three but i feel like cat is the best version of himself when he's five feet from the rim but that's hard to do when you also have rudy gobert on the team so and i don't think they're gonna trade rudy after trading everything they traded to get him so i i do think if anyone is to go on this team it's gonna be cat the next hot take i have is the Philadelphia 76ers never needed James Harden. That is very, very hot. But, I mean, you look at what Tyrese Maxey has been doing so far this season. 25 points, 7 assists. There's games where he's had double-digit assists, and he's filled that playmaking role very, very nicely. I mean, of course, he's not the playmaker James Harden is. James Harden's one of the greatest playmakers of all time. But he's done fine. I do think the 76ers will be okay. Um, I do think they need another guy to pair with them. Uh, because I think just having them and then their next best player being Tobias. And then who's who's the fourth best player on that team? Is it is it Pat Bev? Is it oh sorry, it's Kelly Oubre. Duh. But then who who's your fifth best? Is it is it Pat Bev? Is it DeAnthony Melton, I, I don't know. But I do quickly want to say that Kelly Oubre is a very underrated pickup for them. I mean, Kelly Oubre is an easy 20 points per game. And I just can't believe that he went unsigned in free agency. But, yeah, I do think the 76ers do need to make one more move before I can say, okay, yeah, this is definitely a team that can contend. Because, I mean – I, I they'll they'll be fine. They're definitely going to be top five in the East, but I do think they need to make one more move. So I will say that I'm not going to say that they need Harden, but this team would look a lot better with James Harden on it. Then our third and last one. This one is this one's crazy. Steve Kerr is not a good head coach. He's never coached in his life, and he's been carried by Steph his entire career. Now. A lot of people forget this. Before Steve Kerr got there, the twenty was it the 2013-14 season, the Warriors were coached by Mark Jackson, and they did not look that good. And then 2014-15 comes around. The Warriors are in the finals. The Warriors just won a championship with a first-year head coach. A lot of people forget that Steve Kerr was an analyst at ESPN, and he was one of the best analysts they had. He's very, very smart. He has a lot of basketball IQ. I mean, he played with Michael Jordan, for fuck's sake, guys. He played with fucking Michael Jordan. 
Now, you could say that if you give the Warriors, who's, um, I'm trying to think. If you give the Warriors Jim Boylan during that Durant era, yeah, they'll probably win a championship. But that won't be because of coaching. Hell, there could have been a chance they lose to the Rockets in uh, one of those series if they have Jim Boylan at a coach. But I would say that Steve Kerr has benefited from having guys like Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Draymond on his roster. But I think he's a good coach. That offense that he installed his first year, that that sort of that Warriors offense we all know, free flowing, everybody's passing, somebody's always cutting. There's always movement. I think doing that helped unlock Steph's full potential. Just having him be off ball and then also having like a sort of positionless basketball where anybody can be any position on the floor. And, you know, that small ball lineup, the death lineup, the being so effective, I do think that is in part of Steve Kerr and the decision of starting Draymond over David Lee. That was another Steve Kerr thing. I do do believe that Steve Kerr did a lot of great things for the Warriors and that this take that he's not a good coach is just disgusting. I mean, the only real arguments that that he has against is that he's been maybe Ty Lue's outcoaching, but, I mean, Ty Lue was a great coach. He's a great coach as well. I think Ty Lue's one of the best coaches at making adjustments in the league, but he also hasn't proved that he can win without Steph yet, but he's also had Steph – his entire coaching career except for one season. So, and besides Steph, Draymond was hurt. Clay was hurt. So the team wasn't all that good. It was just Jordan Poole and random players every game. So that take to me is wrong. So very quickly, um, I'm going to give you guys my predictions for the MLB Awards. They were just announced I'm going to start off with Gold Glove for the AL. We have Jonah Heim, Nathaniel Lowe, Andres Jimenez, Matt Chapman, Anthony Volpe, Stephen Kwan, Kevin Kermeyer, Adolis Garcia, Jose Barreos, and Marcio Dubon. Then in the NL, we have Gabriel Marino, Christian Walker, Nico Horner, Kibon Hayes, Dansby, Swanson, Ian Happ, Brenton Doyle, Fernando Tatis Jr., Zach Wheel, and Hassong Kim. So those are our Gold Glove winners, I would say. Yeah, they deserve it. Acuna, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. has won this year's Player of the Year. And then the Clement, Robert, the Roberto Clemente Award has been given to Joe Judge. Now, for the regular season stuff, Rookie of the Year for the AL Tanner Beebe, or Bebe, I'm not sure. Tristan Casas and Gunnar Henderson are the finalists. And then for the NL, we have Corbin Carroll, James Altman, and Kode Singa. Or Sanga, I'm sorry. Now, I'm going to say these these are two of the obvious ones. It's Gunnar Henderson and Corbin Carroll. I mean, Corbin Carroll's team was just in the World Series. And the Orioles were great behind Gunnar Henderson, who played really, really good this year. So I'm going to give it to those two guys. Next, for Manager of the Year, we have Bruce Baucke for the Rangers, Kevin Cash for the Rays, and Brendan Hyde for the Orioles. 
Then in the NL, we have Craig Council for the Buers, Skip Schumacher for the Marlins, and Brian Snicker for the Braves. I feel like Brendan Hyde and uh, Brian Snicker will probably win these awards. Actually, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be those guys. Unless unless they give it to Bruce. No, they'll give it they'll, for AL, they'll give it to Bruce Bucky. Bruce Bucky will definitely win it. Uh, for Cy Young, for the AL, Garrett Cole, Kevin Gosman, and Sonny Gray are our finalists for the AL. And then for the NL, Zach Gallen, Blake Snow, and Logan Webb. Now, I would have loved for Spencer Strider and Max Fried to be here for NL, but fortunately, fortunately not. But I do think that uh, Garrett Cole and Zach Gallen will end up winning this award. Now, the MVP awards are also pretty easy. I mean, the MLB awards this season were pretty easy. Um, the, there's your obvious front runners, but uh, for the AL, we have Shohei Otani, Corey Seager, and Marcus Simeon, and then Ronald Acuna Jr., Mookie Betts, and Freddie Freeman. Now, Shohei is the MVP for the AL. I mean, he just played out of his fucking mind this year when he was healthy. And for the NL, it's obvious. I mean, this is an obvious one. I'm going to be a homer here, but I mean, I do think that even even if I wasn't a Braves fan, I think I would pick him to win this award. It's Ronald Acuna Jr. Just had an unreal season. First ever 40-70 season in MLB history. Let me rephrase that to you guys. First ever 40 home run, 70 stolen base season ever in Major League Baseball history. And those are my award winners for this year. So, yeah, that'll do it for this episode, guys. Shorter episode today, but, you know, I felt like I talked about a lot. Uh, I'll see you guys next week or maybe this week. Um, for the next episode, I'm not really sure. Like I said, I do want to get to two episodes a week eventually, but we're going to get that at some point. Oh, very quickly, some college basketball talk. Um, LSU, women's team, women's, LSU's women's team losing to Colorado is crazy. Number one team losing by almost double, or but losing by almost 20. The very, and they were getting, they were losing like by almost 30 at one point to the 20th team in the country that's just nuts to me uh ucla played fine last night 30 point win didn't get to watch the game because somebody works at six in the morning and it's hard to watch a team that plays at almost midnight but uh they had a good game i'm excited to see how this uh team looks you know first time in forever without Hami haquez and tiger campbell on the team this team's gonna be so weird so so weird but i'm very excited about a lot of all, all of our freshmen um my day mara looked uh he didn't look that good in his debut but i do think as he gets used to the way the college game is he'll uh he'll get he'll be a better player but a dim bona just looked phenomenal the entire game you know bona is a guy last year that i've been like if you told me he scored 28 in a, points in a game i would not believe you just because I feel like his ceiling is a guy that's going to average around 12 points but get about 15 boards a game. But 28 points from him is, you know, 
if he's if he's gonna be on that level um scoring i'm not gonna be mad at all but yeah we're gonna wrap this one up guys i will see you on the next one peace out and have a very very nice day